Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hurry and Yell podcast number 19, number three of 2018. Uh, We are back at it again after getting the divisional games completely wrong, but we're back at it for the conference championships. Um, So we're going to start, well, first of all, we're drinking beer. Um, Ninkasi Brewing Company. In Eugene. In Eugene, Oregon. Slager? Slayer? Slayer. Slayer. Slager. It's a Christmas beer. Um, it's a winter ale. It's pretty good. Slayer, or Ninkasi always makes good beer. When was the last time that you were in Eugene, Oregon? Never. You've never been in Eugene? Nope, but I had to change that up. It's very green. Here in a couple years, I think I have to change it up, especially since my boss has a suite literally right next to Phil Knight. What are you waiting for? I didn't know him well enough. Well, now you do. Now I do. You're number two at the company. I can get away with a little more. Uh, we are going to start today with uh, the sad stuff. As... Uh, for our university, Washington State, the quarterback of the Cougars, Tyler Holinsky, shot himself on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, today is Thursday, um, which is, of course, sad and tragic. And I keep uh, hearing people say that, uh, oh, he always seems so happy. And... I can't imagine why he did this, which is, I, I feel like uh, there's kind of a lack of understanding of life. Like you, you don't, no one's happy. No one's actually happy. Happy is temporary. Everybody's struggling. Even if it's the starting quarterback or a millionaire or a billionaire, you can have everything in the world, but uh, There's still always that one thing. The, you know, it's it's always a struggle. Everything is a struggle. Life is a struggle. And if we keep living this mirage that we believe that people are at their public perception and how they act in public, then these same people are not going to feel like they can talk about whatever's bothering them. Like this guy's friend saw him just, you know, the, the morning of, and everything seemed fine. And uh, this tragic, this hits pretty close to home to me um, just because I had a cousin who was a football player who was 21, who passed away Um, different circumstances of death, but still similar in terms of age and in terms of, um, you know, people knew who he was on campus. Um, So it, it hit a little close to home for me. And I know we don't have a lot of listeners, but if there's anyone out there who needs someone to talk to, you can shoot, hurry and yell a tweet. You know, we'll be happy to talk to you guys. I love talking to new people, love making new friends. So by all means, shoot us a text. We can have a conversation. It doesn't have to be about sports. It can be about anything that you want. I'm pretty open about talking about anything. So if you're struggling and you just want someone to talk to, by all means, reach out to us. I think the important thing to remember uh, is that uh, everybody, uh, not everybody is like clinically depressed, but everybody these days, it seems like, has 
problems with anxiety and depression. And the more it's talked about, the more people accept it, uh, that this is something that everybody has to deal with, I think it'll be helpful. You are not alone. And uh, the second thing is Keith Jackson, uh, 89-year-old, the greatest football announcer ever, passed away Sunday. I don't remember when I, I texted so. you that, but that was that was, <laughs> that was a bunch of guys. I mean, you, when you're 89, it could be any day. But um, 2014, I think it was, he went back to Pullman because he's also a Wazoo alum. Uh, the dedicated uh, wing of the communications building to him. And he had an interview um, where he said, you know, I think I've got probably a couple more years. I have my most famous, my most favorite Keith Jackson moment queued up. Would you like to listen to it? It's favorite. It's not most favorite. My most favorite. (laughs) My most favorite. My favoritist. I have what I think is the best Keith Jackson call. And here we go. And of course, it's not working, but I will get because it in there. Because you got that thing plugged in. Yeah, we got it plugged in. What is it? It's the, the catch in the big house. Oh, uh, Cordell Stewart, Michigan, Colorado. I think that. Uh, I guess we could have put it on your computer. Um, yeah, I can try to pull it up. Um, well, we post, I, I post something I wrote in the off season about the great announcers of college football, which was, he was the main reason for it. Cause he's the best there is the best there was and the best there ever will be. And, uh, he just knew, uh, he just had a classic way of talking about the game. And I think that these days he's got the, he had that folksy charm and he's like Vince Cully for baseball. You, you see, he saw the forest, the trees of football and the poetry and the majesty and everything of the game. Like you listen to his introductions for big games, like the 2005 Rose Bowl. That was just awesome. His his, uh, opening monologue when he'd be out in the Palouse. I think it was a 2002 uh, Oregon Wazoo game. It was just awesome. Him and Dan Fouts were Dan Fouts was the Oregon alumni. Oh yeah. I remember that game really well. And you know, it's just brevity and charm, and he was just the—he was just outstanding. And there's, you know, there's a whole generation of football fans now that, especially nationwide, because his last few years he only did the West Coast, so he could um, spend more time with his wife. That you know aren't that familiar with him. He coined—he was the first one to call the big house the big house. Yeah, him in Michigan football. Yep. Synonymous. 9 a.m. games, uh, cold Michigan, and Ohio State from the big house. Where are those Ohio State linemen from? Dublin, Ohio. Always. They were always <laughs> from Dublin, Ohio. The big, uh, he also coined the phrase, the big uglies. The big uglies up front. Uh, he had the great call. Um, Desmond Howard, Ohio State, 1991. Hello, Desmond. He turns Heisman. a punt, and he goes... He's and it's a great thing about Keith Jackson. Uh, Desmond Howard, I've seen that this play probably seventy-five times. He makes a cut, and you, Keith Jackson sees before you do or anybody does. He's got one man to beat, and that's the punter. 
and he goes, one man. And then he goes, goodbye and hello, Heisman. And, well, and then his last call. Yeah. The, the Vince Young play. I mean, for him to go out, that that's going out on top. You he, he retired at the perfect time. You could not have a better game than that Texas-USC game. Yep, and it's. Uh, I think the call was uh, Young to the corner. He's got it. Going for the corner. Going for the corner. He's got it. Yep. He knew when to let when to let a play breathe, and I feel like that is a quality that is lost on a lot of broadcasters. I, I would. Here's here's. I, I'm gonna. I might disagree with you on this. I think that everybody. I think sometimes there's too much. Like you look at Joe Buck, and he's so. Uh, succinct with the way he calls the game that it doesn't there, there's no human side of it except for the, we'll get to the Minnesota game his call was great his voice cracked um, because he actually showed emotion but it, like you have Joe Buck uh, a lot of the Fox guys um, Jim Nance like they're just calling the game and a lot of the guys that had kind of that that personality uh, Vern Uncle Vern I mean so another tough one whenever he passes. Musburger. Musburger. Um, Before he Musburger, went insane. Musburger is always insane. He always looked like my grandmother and always freaked me out. Um, but he's he's just he has his own style. Bill Raftery. I love Bill Raftery, and I knew you were going to bring up Bill um, Raftery. You know, it's they, they pepper in just perfect ways to call uh, a play. They call a game with their own personality, and you just don't see it, it that much anymore because it's all corporate guys. Uh, Bob Rob at Robertson at Wazoo. We called Wazoo games for, what, 40, 50 years? Replaced by a young guy. He's a good guy and does a good job, but he's all polish. Yep. Uh, Bob Rondo at Washington is being replaced by a young guy who's just polished. He's got this voice that you made in, uh, in you know, broadcaster – you know, factory. Yeah. And then uh, who's the other guy? Aaron Goldsmith, the Mariners. I love Aaron Goldsmith. He shows emotion. Yeah, but does uh, okay. He just baseball's like everybody else. Baseball's though. different because you're going from zero to a hundred real quick in baseball because one swing of the bat, just like that. Whereas football, you can see a play developing where you will yell. Basketball, you can see a play developing where you will will get excited. Whereas baseball, there's no development of the play. You know what what play I, I saw uh, a couple days ago? I don't know why it was posted, but uh, I think it's a 2005 NLCS Albert Pujols against the Astros. Brad Lidge. His Brad career was Lidge. never the same. Destroy. The call of that home run was like the, the, you you don't even need to say anything. And the announcer, I don't know who called it, but he recognized immediately that there no words to describe how hard that ball was I, hit. I don't think that ball has landed <laughs> yet. Um, oh, I was going to look up Cornell. I think, yeah, I, I will never forget. You know it's bad when the it's a playoff game. And the guys on the team that allowed the home run, you can hear, you can see them mouth the word "wow" when they watched it, because it was majestic. Yeah. It was an absolute moonshot. I mean, and Pujols just did what Pujols does. He watched it for a little bit, and then he just ran the bases, no showboating or nothing. So to conclude our um, 
first of all, Cordell Stewart threw this ball 75 yards in the air. That, yeah. Um, I'm going to play, I think this is the Keith Jackson call. The 17-second one? No, I got one that's one minute, but I think it shows the aftermath. Okay. That's as um, that's the most emotion you'll hear from him. Yep. But just a great call. And the audio on that's not great, so I don't know how much that got picked up on the microphone. But you can look it up on YouTube. There's Keith Jackson montages. He will be missed. Um, a Cougar legend. Just a legend of football. Rough day. Rough week for the Cougs, yeah. all, to, all in all. I mean, uh, the, the bright spot was they did finally get an athletic director. Yeah. Well, yeah. After four months. Um, he's supposed to be a good one. Guy who hired Lane Kiffin. So uh, now that we got we got the somber news, all of the the sad stuff, the uh, playoffs are going on. Yeah, and um, we were wrong. Shocker about a lot of shit. Did we get anything right? Pa- we got the Patriots game right. Okay, we, we nailed the Patriots. the Patriots game right. Yeah, I think we said Tennessee would score early, and then they lose by about twenty five points. Like Malarkey was then fired. Um, lesson to everyone: you can't. It's hard to keep a coaching job if you're a dick and you don't protect your star quarterback. Um, I didn't see Minnesota when it happened. Did you? I heard it on the radio, so I heard the I and Eagle call. You want to talk about a good announcer? Yes, I and Eagle. That was a great call. Um, because I. I, I was going to coach, and so I was listening to the game. First of all, that game, ridiculous. Four lead changes in the last three minutes. Um, both coaches made some interesting interesting coaching decisions. Uh, the couple of challenges that Sean Payton made that he definitely shouldn't have, that cost him a couple of timeouts. And then Mike Zimmer, I think he had a chance just to run the clock out pretty much against uh, after the two minute warning for the first field goal that they made. Uh, he had a chance to just kind of run it down because the saints only had one timeout and he th- incomplete pass out route that threw it out of bounds, incomplete pass for that long field goal. So interesting coaching decisions, but it made for a wildly entertaining finish. Um, so I'm at a two-year-old's birthday party. Luckily, a shout-out. Fred's been the first human on Earth to probably do this to uh, Yahoo. 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 Free streaming of all NFL playoff games on phones. Because I was out um, Sunday since the CX were done. I get a little grief for having football on the TV all day. So had it on my phone. Um at a two-year-old's birthday party, it's 17 nothing Vikings, and I'm like, man, the Saints are going to come back because it's the same sense of Vikings in the playoffs. Like, what else is going to happen? I I go back on, Saints are lined up to kick a field goal. There's 90 seconds. There's less. There's, what, 40, 50 seconds left? When they kicked the first field when goal? the Saints took the lead. For the, the, there was about 50. Okay. And I close. I go, Case Keenum ain't doing shit here. And I just turn off, you know, close the phone because you don't want to be that guy to gather reminders on his phone. And it wasn't until maybe an hour later 
hour, maybe two hours when I got home. <laughs> so that the Vikings won. And good for them. I'm rooting for them to win it all. That fan base has been through so much. Um, Red Sox fans before 2004 loved to just nail themselves with a cross about how they had it worse than everybody. But let's take a look at the Minnesota Vikings. History. They play in Super Bowl IV. They're massive favorites over the Kansas City Chiefs. Hank Stram runs 23 toss power trap a few times, and uh, they get they just get killed. They get killed. They're just humiliated. Then they play Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl, I think, two, years, two three years later. They lose again. They play the Raiders, and they play four Super Bowls. They lose four Super Bowls. In between that, they lose a playoff game at home to Dallas on a Hail Mary, which was the most egregious non-call of offensive pass interference. And it was in 1977. So that's it, that was just complete crap. That's, that was one of the first successful Hail Marys in football history. Um, so then you go to 1987. I think it's 87. When did the Redskins win the Super Bowl? 87. They're in the playoffs. I think it's the NFC title game against the Redskins. They're running. They have the ball. It's been a while since they've seen this. Uh, and they fumble. They fumble and they lose the game. Wasn't They're, that the 35-point quarter by Doug Williams? In the Super Bowl? Was it? Did yeah, he have 35 yeah, points yeah, in the Super yeah, Bowl? Yeah, oh, I thought it was the NFC Championship no, game. No, they were down 10-0 to Denver in the Super Bowl in Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. And then it was 35-10 at halftime. Um, so, and then you get through, you get to the nineties, um, Gary Anderson, 15, one Vikings, greatest offense ever assembled. They blow a 13 point lead. All they need is a field goal. They go up by 10 and ice the game and he misses a 38 yard field goal. Okay. Well, that's one season, 2000 NFC championship game road favorites over the giants. They lose 41, nothing 2009 saints, Vikings, Brett Favre. You don't need to throw the football. Throws it across his body, intercepted. They lose in they lose in overtime. Uh, 2015, Blair Walsh chip shot field goal to win in like negative 60 degrees. He's made every kick, three kicks of long distance, and he hooks it. Like they've been through everything, and here it was another loss, 17 point blown lead, another loss, and. They get a gift from the gods of poor tackling. So yes, that was horrible <laughs> tackling. But what's lost on this is that kid. First of all, I commend him for coming out after the game and saying that was on him. Good, good, good work. He didn't have to speak to reporters, but he owned it. Second, good for the for the Saints for all rallying around him. Third. No one's going to remember the interception he had early in the fourth quarter that set up the second touchdown. Mm-hmm. So, yes, this is his Raheem Moore moment. Well, on the flip side, where's Raheem Moore now? But this guy's already (laughs) – this guy – This guy's a rookie and he's a stud. And you can already tell that he is better than Raheem Moore. He's he's a terrible tackler. He just – Maybe this will have some defective. He tried to upend him to keep him in bounds, and he just took a very poor angle and he whiffed. So my question here is – uh, not really to you, just a question. Thanks, Bart. He completes the pass. You got a thirty-five. You're at the thirty-five yard line. You have fifty-two yard field goal indoors. 
that's typically a make. And he so just made a 53-yard field goal. They're probably going to win the game anyway. He just made a 53-yard field goal not 10 minutes earlier. So my question is, why was he, Marcus Williams, the only guy playing deep there? There was a apparently uh, there was a miscommunication on the defensive play call. That's what it looked like to me. Dennis, it, Dennis Allen was the defensive coordinator, the old Oakland Raiders head coach. It looked to me like three guys were playing cover four and one guy was playing cover three. And they ran a corner around behind the guy who was playing either cover two or cover three. He didn't get deep enough, leaving Marcus Williams. I think that's his name? Yeah. On an island. The safety. Um, either you feel bad for the kid. You feel, I mean, anytime there's, there's a game like that, you feel bad for the team that loses. It was yeah. a well-played game by both teams. Um, so, what, what are the other games we had to cover? Jacksonville-Pittsburgh. I did say that Jacksonville had a chance to win, but I did not think it was going to be because of their offense. And I said that Pittsburgh would score at least 30 points, and they scored 42 because the Jacksonville defense doesn't pay attention. Well, there was a lot of just throw it up and let them go get but it. But that's what works on them because they do not they, – they, they, they mentally – I they just check out. It seems like they have stretches where they're locked in, and check, check stretches where they're locked out, and you can throw over the top on them. This is going to be an interesting off season in Pittsburgh. I mean, I know Roethlisberger has already said he's going to come back, but Le'Veon Bell doesn't want to play under the sal- under the franchise tag for the second year, so that could be a holdout again. Antonio Brown, while probably the one of the best receivers in the game, probably top two. Um, he started to show a little bit of diva for the first time in his career, yelling at coaches and throwing a tantrum on the sideline. And, you know, Pittsburgh doesn't put up with that. So, well, uh, they fired their offensive coordinator, Todd Haley. Yeah. yeah but you knew that was coming. He, they could have won the Super Bowl. Part of the reason that, that, that I think that a lot of this discord is his doing because he's a really combative guy. They could have won the Super Bowl and they would have fired him, in my opinion, because Roethlisberger and him didn't get along at all. I think Roethlisberger probably played a power play and said, I, I'll retire if you don't get rid of him. I bet he did. Because he was threatening it all offseason. I bet he did. I would, that would not surprise me at all. I, it, this, uh, this is at least the second offensive coordinator he's run off. Um, no, this is the third. This is the third one. So at what point? This is like the the person that keeps the boy who having wolf. terrible relationships. At some point, it's you, Ken Wisenhut, pretty good offensive coordinator. He drove him off. He, that was two thousand five. He's in San Diego now, right? Yeah, doing pretty well. And uh, if they Bruce, had a kicker, they would have made the playoffs. Bruce Arians. He can be a little bit of an asshole. Yeah, but he's a great coach. Yeah. And then they, I think they had somebody in between him and Todd Haley. I don't remember who. They had to have, because Todd Haley was the coach at, of the Chiefs yeah. when Arians left to go go to the Colts. Hmm. So I wonder who that was. Oh no, I re- I don't know the guy's name, but yeah, another guy, and then he got run off too. So at some point, Big Ben, it's you. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then there was one more game: the Falcons Eagles. I mean, the game kind of went how we thought it was going to go, where. Uh, it was a low-scoring game, but the outcome did not. We were wrong on the outcome. So, well, Steve Sarkeesian is getting a lot of crap. He's being retained. 
Um, I'm willing to bet he puts in his own offense this offseason. I really like the way he called the first quarter and a half, and then it felt like he was just throwing darts. I listened to 950 KJR here in Seattle where Hugh Millen, who is a Steve Sarkeesian supporter, was defending that final play call, the RPO. And he was saying, if you disagree with that play call, you don't know anything about football. Because they set it up because they ran the fade on first down, so they were faking the fade on fourth down, and they wanted to roll out Matt Ryan to get a better angle for the comeback route. Um, here's the counter-argument to that. Uh, so they set up the fade route by having Julio singled up and trips on the opposite side. When you line up Julio to a trip side, you're not throwing a fade there. No one thinks it's you're too, throwing a yeah, fade. It's too crowded, side. right? And that's what happened. You ran at the first down. You threw the fade. So, like it's it's more than just play calls. It's personnel. You see Julio to that side. You're giving a big receiver a very short area to work. Second of all, they were sitting on that play. If you look at how they were playing coverage, I mean, we were talking about this on Facebook. The corner had the his back hip. He was looking for the comeback, and that and when you roll out, you're telling everybody on that side on the secondary, this is short. These are short routes. You're not going. You're not running crossing routes. You're not. You're either running a pick play, or you're running just a bunch of little comebacks and stick routes. Eagles are well coached. They know that. Hugh Millen, once again, shut up. Like watch the play. Just because he's your boy from UW doesn't mean that he did a good job there. He called plenty of good plays in that game. But but not that sequence. But not – I was fine with everything else there. Just that one play? Yeah. So now we uh, we have four teams left. Uh, Patriots-Jags. How do you see this one going? You see it going a lot like the Patriots-Titans? Uh, well – Here's the thing. You don't need a great quarterback to beat the Patriots. That's good. Uh, you need a running game, and you need a front four. Jaguars got both of those. They got a running game. They got a front four. They're susceptible over the top. The Patriots don't throw the ball over the top. They haven't in 10 years. And how you beat the Patriots? You put pressure on Tom Brady. You make him uncomfortable to where he doesn't. Can't step into his throws. You need a strong defensive tackle. You need to collapse the pocket. The Jags have all these things. The problem that I see in this game, and that's why I, I can't go against New England, is I just don't think they're mature enough. I think they're going to get frustrated. I think they're going to try and they, they do some clever, borderline cute shit with the way they uh, react to certain formations and plays and things like that. And that's not going to fool Tom Brady. He's going to take him apart. So, how would you beat Tom Brady? What do you mean with would that? you would you blitz? No, I would never blitz Tom Brady ever. I would never blitz. Would him. you just line up your DN super wide and hope they collapse the pocket in? He likes to step up, so I wouldn't. So you'd pinch. I, I, I'd, I'd pinch more than anything because he wants if. 
ever since he broke his leg, if you get around his feet, and he's skittish. He's all. It's all. He's always been like that for the last you know nine years. Get around his feet. It makes him uncomfortable. He's going to overthrow passes. I'd run conservative stuff in the back end. Give him. Give him three yards, five yards. And then you have to tackle. And you have to tackle and make him go ahead and run like cover three, cover four, and man. That's all. Simple scheme, but you got to have the personnel. 2007 Giants. They That's what they did. But they got pressure with four, uh-huh. and that's what you're going to have to do. And Jacksonville can. Well, you look so. at uh, Denver beat them, what, two years ago in the answer title game? Yep. Pressure. Pressure. They blitzed a little bit more. But they, they blitz less than they normally do because they got pressure. If you hit him, you beat him. You think I, Jacksonville can do it? No. Like, gun to my head, I do not see Blake Bortles in the Super Bowl. What do you think is the final score? 27 to 7. But a close, like a late 27. I was going to say 27 17. So I agree. I think the, the Patriots are going to win. Um, Brady is just a surgeon and he's just going to dink and dunk and dink and dunk. And then the Jaguars are going to get out of position. They're going to bite on a fake. There's going to be a double move. They will score a touchdown on a double move. They're going to be looking into the backfield. They love to look. They want to get those picks and they want to lay people out. Look for a slant and go for Brandon Cooks. Yep. Yep. I think you're absolutely right. Um, so yeah, I think that I think the Patriots are going to win. If they hit a double move, you're definitely getting a congratulatory text from me. Awesome! <laughs> I can't wait to get that. Um, I don't think I'll be able to watch it. I'm going to be uh, looking for a new vehicle that time. It'll be on in the uh, dealership break room. Oh, it sure, it will for yeah. sure. Uh, the other game, the Jeff Fisher Bowl. Is there any coincidence that their numbers are seven and nine? That's just incredible. And it's the Jeff Fisher Bowl. I will. I I did see that on Twitter, and I will not say that I came up with that. But it was highly entertaining when I saw it. Who you got in this one? I go back and forth. Um, I I agree, and I think this is going to be a low-scoring game either way. I the winner twenty points is going to win this game. I'm reminded of the 1990 New York Giants. And Are you reminded that with the Eagles or with the, the Vikings? It applies to both. Of them. I know. Uh, the New York Giants, for those of you who don't know, great team. A great, great football team. They already won a Super Bowl five years before. Great defense. Powerful running game. Phil Simms, a quarterback, before he got dumb. Um, and they were 11-1, and one, I think. They're playing Buffalo. And he blows his leg out. And Jeff Hostetler, old Haas himself with his mustache, comes in. They go in. They uh, they get a first round bye. They beat the Bears 31-3. They play at San Francisco in one of the finest games ever played and beat, beat them on five field goals. And they beat the Bills in the Super Bowl. Def- they, they, <laughs> their last two games, they scored 35 combined points and won a Super Bowl. So... I think they, it applies more to the, the Eagles. I think that um, the Eagles probably fit better because their quarterback was a difference maker like Sims was. Um, 
and you know Keenum's been the starter all year, pretty mm-hmm. much. That said, like that, I mean, these are two great defenses, but the Vikings' defense. Yeah, I mean, Jacksonville's defense is getting a lot of love. Minnesota's defense might be better. Minnesota's defense probably is better. Can They're more just, disciplined. Um, yeah, and that, they played together. I saw a thing where they played in that system uh, for the average player on that team. It's been the same system for five years. Well, you think about it. I mean, Everson Griffin has been there for a while. Anthony Barr has been there for a Linval while. Linval Joseph. Linval Joseph. Michael the safety. Michael Kendricks. Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith is one of the best run-defending strong safeties I have ever seen. He single-handedly won me a fantasy football game with him when he had the two picks on a Thursday. I think it was on a Thursday night, but I ended up winning by like four points, and he got six. So I think it was the first round of the playoffs. Like They're really, really good, and the Eagles are smoking mirrors. Mike Zimmer doesn't get enough pub for being a really good coach, but he's seen it all. He has been coaching for a long time. Nothing they do is going to surprise him. So I'm going to pick the Vikings are going to go to the Super Bowl and lose their fifth Super Bowl. I'm going 16-13 Vikings. Yeah, yeah. it's going to be a field goal at the end. Yep. And we'll talk about the Super Bowl. We'll spend plenty of time. We will be having a Super Bowl podcast where we'll talk about that for a little bit. So. So that's our that's our football uh, portion. I want to get a little bit into college basketball, um, specifically the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve this year is a very interesting league in that eighty percent of the league conceivably could make the NCAA tournament. You've got first of all, you've got Kansas, who's leading the conference right now at five and one. They've won 13 Big Big 12 division titles in a row. They're looking for number 14, which would break the record with UCLA. And I, I first of all, I don't think they're going to get it. I, but that team showed a lot uh, earlier this week against West Virginia. West Virginia had an 18-point lead. Usually, you don't come back when you're down by 18 in West Virginia. So the heart that Kansas showed was very impressive to me. But you've got four teams right now that are in the top ten. You've got Kansas, who's five and one at conference, and then you've got three teams at four and two in conference, and Oklahoma, who's number four, West Virginia, who's number six, and Texas Tech, who's number eight. Oklahoma has probably the best player in the country in Trey Young who I think up until last week was leading the nation in both scoring and assists. I mean, for a freshman to do that, point guard. I watched him for the first time. The first time they played TCU a couple weeks ago, effortless. He had an effortless 38. And he just makes, he just lets the game come to him. And he has unlimited, he has Jimmer range. He doesn't shoot as often as Jimmer, but he has Jimmer range. Well, he's got to get his assists up because he's giving on Neil Jimmer. But he he has great vision. So, and I've always liked Oklahoma's coach, Long Kruger. He's a very good UNLV. coach. He was at UNLV. Yeah. 
you know, now he's at Oklahoma, you know, and of course, you, how can you not love Bob Huggins at West Virginia? Texas Tech is a little bit of a surprise. Actually, they're 15-3. and three. They lost. No, they won tonight. They won tonight. No, they lost. Well, they, they lost, lost yesterday. Oh, my, my mistake. They lost yesterday. Close game. By nine to Texas. But before that, they beat West Virginia. They lost to Oklahoma. But they also beat Kansas in Fog Allen. So that that's Kansas's one conference loss. So... You've got a whole bunch of great teams out of, coming out of there. Good teams. Good, good good to really good. And I didn't even mention TCU. Now imagine you're Pittsburgh. You have made the tournament. You make the tournament every year with Jamie Dixon as your coach. But you underperform in the tournament a little bit. So you fire Jamie Dixon. You have done nothing since. Meanwhile, Jamie Dixon. The rule of Frank Zolich, by the way. Jamie Dixon took TCU, his alma mater, which is why he went there, and he's very comfortable there, took them to an NIT title last year and has them ranked in the top 25 this year. Now, they are only 2-4 and four in conference. They went 12-0 and 0 in the non-conference, but they are 2-4 and, and four in conference. Now, they lost to Oklahoma by one, Kansas by four, Texas by one, Oklahoma again by five. You got a feeling ten and eight in the Big Twelve from TCU gets in the tournament. Oh, absolutely. Especially if it. Well, I mean, it depends on who those those wins are against. But I mean, they still have West Virginia at home. They still have Kansas on the road. They have West Virginia on the road. They have Texas Tech. They have plenty of opportunities. But yes, TCU. I'd be very surprised if TCU doesn't make the tournament this year. You, then there's Texas. You know, you always got to watch out for shock smart coach teams because every once in a while they'll come up and get you like they did with Texas Tech. You know, they beat TCU already. They lost to Kansas by six. Every single game in the in the Big 12 is competitive. So which one of those teams is going to make the most noise in the tournament? West Virginia is going to make the most noise. Uh, o- Not Oklahoma. Oklahoma needs one more person around Trey Young. If one more person can step up, Oklahoma's a Final Four team. You look at uh, whenever you think of a freshman carrying a team to a national title, Carmelo. You think of Carmelo, but he had Hakeem Warwick and had uh, and he had Jerry. Jerry McNamara. He had help. Yes, you think of Carmelo, but you also – he had help around him. Trey Young doesn't have an Hakeem Warwick. He doesn't have a Jerry McNamara yet. That could come. But West Virginia last year took Gonzaga, who made the title game, to the very end. They brought back a lot of teams They or a lot of players. They love that system. They are the only team that has beaten Virginia this year. I mean, and if you beat Virginia – you're doing it. I mean, that was a very interesting game because you know how much West Virginia loves to press and Virginia loves to slow it down. So the fact that West Virginia got Virginia to play their pace, that's a very interesting game. And so I think West Virginia has the best chance to make noise. Kansas has one player suspended still. If he comes back, that could turn the tide, but you don't know if he's going to come back Is this Kansas year. Is Kansas still the most talented team in the conference? Yes. Kansas, yes. 
Kansas is yes, they will they will always be the most talented team the most in that conference. Part, though, their most talented teams aren't the ones that go deep in the tournament. Right. It's the ones that are the best chemistry. Yep. And that's another reason why I think it's gonna be West Virginia. Yeah. I think West Virginia is a final four team this year. I think depending on obviously depending on the way the bracket the, the bracket yeah. shakes out, I very easily could see them as a two seed making the final four. So, Well, I, I like Huggy, and I'd like to see him win a title. Kansas State has a chance to make the NCAA tournament as well. Bruce Weber, right? Bruce Weber. Yep. Uh, they beat Oklahoma by 18 a couple nights ago. Wow. They only beat the Cougs by three, but that was in Spokane. That's a by the way, the first college basketball game I ever saw was Kansas State and Wazoo in front of maybe six people. When Frank Martin was there and we showed up at a tip-off. Frank Martin wasn't there. Huggy was there. Oh, Huggy was there? It was 2005. It was one of the two. But we showed up We showed up right at tip-off and sat in the third row. We actually we hung out in the back a little bit. And then we moved up? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that game. I was like, eh, I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know how student seating at a basketball game worked. Like, first come, first serve. Yeah. It's just like football. So I don't think the national champion is coming from the Big 12 this year. You think it's still the fighting Izzo's, don't you? I don't know, man. They've. I don't know. They have lost, I think, two out of three. Jim Woolridge was the coach of Kansas State in 2005. Was it the year before Huggins was there? <laughs> I think so. Michigan State has not impressed me at all the last couple of weeks. They uh, they lost to Ohio State. They got waxed by Ohio State. They lost by 16. And Ohio State's a decent team. But they lost by 16. Actually, Ohio State's 7-0 in conference. They just never seem to have shooters. That's their biggest issue. They never. They, they always have guys that play their ass off. They play defense. They're physical. They rebound. They're disciplined. They don't never have shooters. This is going to come as, as a shock to you, I'm sure. They're third in the country in rebounds per game. If you want to teach your child, or if you're a coach and you want to teach players how to rebound and how to box out, just YouTube Michigan State basketball. Uh, 2000, was that the year they went to the... This uh, year they won it. They won it. They played Gonzaga. In the Sweet, Sweet 16. After that game, I was tired. After watching them beat up a pretty... That was a tough... Like, Gonzaga had some boys in the middle. Yeah. Like scrappy dudes. Zach Gord and Calvary. Yeah, and, like, and they just got... They, they I, got worked I was, over. I was exhausted. Yep. So, that... Uh, we're, we're going to be spending a little bit of time with probably going conference by conference here up until um, up until ter- Selection Sunday. Uh, this was the Big 12. Uh, the well, ACC is going to be fun. One of these days I'm going to have to go on my rant about conference tournaments. You should do that the week of the conference tournaments. I, I plan on it because um, uh, I was listening to – the radio this morning were talking about when the Huskies won their conference, but didn't make the, the tournament. tournament. Yeah, um, that's just the biggest crock of shit I've ever seen. Oh, no, no, not I've ever seen. That was 
Matt Hasselbeck making a tackle in the Super Bowl and being called for an illegal block. You know, I asked him, I, Matt Hasselbeck was having a Q&A about a year ago on Twitter. And I asked him <laughs> about that. And I asked him if the referee gave him an explanation. And he answered me and he goes, he said he missed the call. It's not that tough. Because three plays later, they got a touchdown. Wasn't it on the reverse pass? Uh-huh. Who got beat? Was it Mark? It was Marquand Manuel, wasn't it? Marquand Manuel pulled a hamstring in the first quarter, leaving the Seahawks with Ectric Pruitt. That's right. So Marquand Manuel would have made that play? They win the game. Marquand Manuel doesn't care. You have everything else that goes on. That's right, because they win the game. Willie Parker had a run where that safety went in the wrong hole. We were right? going to stop talking about okay. that. Okay. Right so. Before we get to our, we're gonna we're gonna change the ripping the scab off. I'm sorry. Before we get to our random question, I thought it would hurt less when they won a Super Bowl. It still hurts. Before we get to our random question, didn't you have a question for me? (laughs) I've got a random question. I thought of. Uh, Is this going to be our random question? No. no. Okay. This is just it's just another conversation point. Okay. We got about 15 minutes left in this podcast. This won't be long. You, you, you've watched boxing, and at some point in your life, you've probably seen an episode of pro wrestling. Is that accurate? Maybe? It's been a long time for both, okay. but yes. They have entrance music, right? Yes. What would your entrance music be? For wrestling? No, just you. Like, you as a person. Okay, well, okay. You know, what is your entrance music? You know I've thought about this as, like, my my my... <laughs> Music when I come to the plate in baseball. What was that? Which, by the way, it would be Hit em High by the Monstars in the Space Jam soundtrack. Which is funny. I know that it's a basketball movie and it would be my baseball walk-up music. But it still is perfect. I would have bet Center Field by Fogarty. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Boys of Summer or something like that. Boys of Summer is a really good choice. (laughs) It would be, if it's not Hit em High... It'd be some cheesy 80s I'm music. Actually, uh, yeah, I'm surprised. I thought, snap of the fingers, you'd say Final Countdown by Europe. That's my beer pong walk-up okay. music. So that's your, okay, you're you're a wrestler or a boxer. UFC, boxing, pro wrestling, you, what are you walking out to? What is your, I'm going to go out here and everybody knows I'm here to kick someone's ass. Sister Christian. Night Ranger? Yeah. That's not an ass-kicking song. You want me to pick an ass-kicking song? Yeah, what's your, what's, what is your, uh, the Brian ass-kicking song? My, the Brian ass-kicking song. That's a good question. Do you know what your ass-kicking song is? I've got a couple ideas. You go, and then I'll... Let me, give me a couple minutes to think about it. So you go first. Um, for Whom the Bell Tolls. See, I Howard. thought that as well, but that was Trevor Hoffman's music. So I was like, no, I okay, want to do well, something else than that. that. Let, me, let me think um, hmm. Because, like, you know, if I'm a, because you have the bell ringing, mm-hmm. and Hell's Bells for Mariano, and then, uh, yeah, for whom the bell to- tolls for Trevor Hoffman, who was a closer for the San Diego Padres, one of the best ever children. Probably going to make the Hall of Fame this year, actually. Oh, uh, he was on roids. 95% or 100? Trevor Hoffman yeah. didn't throw hard enough. It's really 95. His most famous pitch was a changeup, so I don't think so. 
He was thick, though. Well, he was thick when he came in. I don't. I don't think he was. I don't think. I don't think. You'll Ryan be hard pressed. Franklin was busted for steroids three times. They went 185. You'll be hard pressed for me to think a relief pitcher in the 90s was taking steroids. They were all on it. Maybe. Do you think Andy Pettit wasn't putting a needle in his ass? Well, if Andy Pettit was, well, he was a starter. But Andy Pettit was, so Andy Bennis might have been. <laughs> uh, okay, my wrestling walk-up music. Actually, so my music is already would already be a wrestler's music, and you won't know it because you weren't into it as deep as I was when I was young. Sting. Do you remember that wrestler? Yeah. Do you remember when he had the black and white face paint? Do you remember when he was colorful? Yeah, uh, black and white. His music, 1997-98, is this – it is – yeah, I'd walk out to that. I know what mine would be. Number one by Nelly. Yep. You'd hear that that hip hop beat going. You mine would you knew mine would be a rap song or a hip hop song. Well, if I was gonna go rap, I'd go get Buck in here. That, that would be how I'd go out. You got the siren and everything. Yeah. That was that drives into something else I wanted to touch on because we don't like you. You you used to listen to hip hop. I did. I used to listen to it sparingly. I listened to a lot in the nineties, but what happened? Like, why does it suck now? You just don't listen to it. Do you, no. do you like listen to music at all? Uh, I listen to old music. I listen to you know KISW or. One oh, I listen. If I'm listening to hip hop, it's one hundred three point seven, which is the old school station. Yeah. So, random question. We got literally what, what ten minutes. Got? All right. By the way, we are still looking for a sponsor for this. <laughs> so, if anyone out there is listening to this and wants to be an official sponsor for the random question, trust me, it won't cost you much. No, it won't. So here it is. Conversationstarters.com random question is What is your favorite home cooked dish? I'll answer this one first because this one's actually pretty easy for me. It was my grandmother's homemade cheese ravioli. She made it, she put the ricotta cheese in the raviolis folded the raviolis herself, made the spaghetti sauce from scratch, made the meatballs from scratch, and put it all together. So with with the sauce, like there was no canned tomatoes or anything, so you had tomatoes and she mashed them up and made her own sauce? She, so she used tomato sauce as a base, but she definitely doctored it up. So she didn't make right. her own okay. sauce, but she did make her own ravioli. And us being an Italian family, this was our, our Easter and New Year's tradition was ravioli and then ham. Because ham is like an Easter tradition, right? A lot of people have ham on Easter. Do they? I think so. We had ham and ravioli. Uh, that that was an easy one for me. My, <sighs> I love Yolanda. Yolanda, yeah. Yolanda was a... Well, is a five foot one inch Italian woman whose mother was born in Italy. Came over when she was oh god, fifteen. My grandma was born in twenty eight. 
And uh, my grandparents met and my grandma was pregnant throughout the entire first half of the 50s. She had a kid every year for five years. The greatest generation. It is. I'm trying to think of what my best, my favorite home cook. I thought it would be the Swedish meatballs. I think we've talked about Swedish meatballs. You have. Break it all down. I can't, you know, you eat that once a year, only once a year for a reason. Um, That's fair. This is tough. And and this... There's so many words to choose. We are going to have... And this is a this is a topic that we have talked about ad nauseum ever since we met about 12 years ago. Eventually, we will have a potato bracket where we talk about the best food to come from a potato. Is it a french fry? Is it a mashed potato? Is it hash browns? Is it potato chips? Baked potatoes. Twice baked potatoes, scallop potatoes. Don't know. Scallop potatoes is definitely the 16 food there. Well, like that I'm not, group. I'm not gonna go. I'm actually. I'm not gonna go with the potato dish here. Um. Oh, a runner up. I mean, my. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say yeah. a runner up for mine is my grand. Is my mom's stroganoff. She doesn't make it with sour cream. She makes it with cream of mushroom soup uh-huh. instead. That's I don't like mushrooms, but cream of mushroom soup doesn't bother me. I think it's the texture of the mushroom that I don't like. Um, but my mom's stroganoff is so good. It's hard for me to like nail down a particular one. I mean, I love pasta. Spaghetti, that's a great one. Pesto pasta, like a good creamy pesto Alfredo chicken pasta with some mushrooms and some nice steamed broccoli. But, like, taco soup, that's a great one. Your wife makes a mean <laughs> taco soup. It's so good. She also makes a great homemade pizza. She does. Um, that might be up there. She made flat, uh, pizza on non bread last weekend. Nice. And with a cream a cream base. <laughs> Man, beside that, yeah. I don't know. I'd probably just go with spaghetti. Spaghetti with a meat sauce. It's classic. Some nice uh, hearty sauce, vegetables, onions, peppers, mushrooms. Maybe a little greenery in there too. Parmesan cheese on top. It's really hard to mess up spaghetti sauce. You know, a little red wine in the sauce. Like a I little say, bit, Dad. Like I say, like a, uh, a third of a cup. Like a glug. A glug and a half. I like how that's an official measurement. <laughs> and everyone who drinks that's wine knows so what a glug funny. is. A glug and a half, two glugs, and it's just too red whining. It's too bitter. Um, and you just want a little bit of that. You want a little bite. A little bite, and then you got to have Parmesan cheese. Yes. Uh, the one that they kind of melts, not that really processed kind of like crunchy this, kind. Yeah. But more of like the powdery stuff. Yeah, that's that's where you go, and then you gotta cook cook the noodles properly. It's tough to properly cook, and you see this actually with Italian restaurants. Fuck this up a lot. They overcook them. They overcook them, um, or sometimes they undercook them. They're trying to be too al dente. There's a certain amount of translucence to your noodle. That you want to hit, and you you know you give me a, you give me a spaghetti noodle at this point, 
I can just hold it in my hand and tell you how much longer it needs to needs to go. Oh, I always taste test it because I make spaghetti once a year, once a week, for as long as I've known how to cook, which has not been that long. Maybe uh, I don't know, eight years now. But yeah, spaghetti. It's well, reliable. You can trust it. You can eat massive amounts of it, and I feel terribly guilty. So yeah. All right, there you go. You went. We both went with the Italian pasta dishes. You went spaghetti, I went ravioli. Yeah. So that is our podcast for this week. Uh, tune in next week when we start talking about the Jags Eagles Super Bowl. Since we picked the Eagles, or since we picked the Vikings and the Patriots to win, and we've been basically wrong about everything. Um, come on and listen in, and thanks everybody for watching or for listening. Have a good one. <laughs>